are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Several years ago, I uh, talked on the world's greatest homebreaker at this meeting, and I told how that when you got married, you and your husband were all Gucci goo until the baby came, and the baby got all the Gucci goo. And uh, I said, remember how that when you first got married, you said, good morning, whoopsie, whoopsie, and, and uh, I wish I'd never said it. <laughs> I, uh, we have an institution out in Crown Point, and... Uh, we're, uh, we're giving some thought into organizing it into a college someday. And, uh, but uh, every other year that I've spoken to you, which has been, I guess, every year, I, I'll be quite frank with you, Mrs. Evans has told me that she would like me to bring a certain, well, sometimes she said, I'd, I'd like you to consider a certain theme or truth that you brought to the church. And uh, though I have prepared it especially for you and, and, and spent many hours on it, it was always a theme that I'd used before. This morning I'm going to use a theme I've never used in all of the 38 years of pastoring and 40 years of preaching. I'm going to share some things with you I've never shared with anybody. Some of the things are the thoughts are thoughts that have been shared, but I'm going to talk to you this morning on the subject in case you want to be close, in case you want to be close. I, uh, and I promise you ladies that if you won't take any more pictures, I'll pose for you in the alley after the service is over without my shirt and uh, eat your heart out. But, uh, I, uh, I, I want you now to put your cameras up, focus your attention this way. I, uh, the things, the, the, the outline that I'm going to give you this morning, I've never shared, and many of the things I'm going to give you, I've never shared with anybody, anywhere at any time. No human beings ever heard me say some of the things I'm going to say this morning. I do not know, and by the way, I, I'm not going to be real humorous. I'm not going to be real dynamic. I'm going to stand here and talk to you for a while, but I'll guarantee you, I'll guarantee you, if you'll, if you'll listen to every word and give me your mind, I'll guarantee you, I'll help you this morning. I'll not use the tool of humor a great deal. I'll not use the, the tool of dynamics a great deal, but I'll guarantee you, if you'll hang on every word I say on purpose, no matter who you are, how old you are, what your relationship is in life, you'll be, you'll be helped. I do not know your circle of relationships. Maybe you are in the prime of life, and which is... 59, and uh, <clears throat> maybe you're in the prime of life, <clears throat> maybe 
you have the typical husband, wife, children situation. Or maybe you are somewhat older, as many of us are, and you have now the children are gone and you and your husband live together alone. Or maybe your husband is gone for death or other reasons, and it may be that you are left with a child or some children. Or it just may be that uh, your children are all gone and your husband is gone and and you have a little circle of friends in church. Or maybe you share an apartment or a house or room with another lady. I do not know what it is. I'm not going to talk to you this morning just on how to be close to your children, just how to be close to your husband, just how to be close to a friend. I'm going to talk to you on how to be close in case you want to be close. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that every mind shall be focused in tune with mine and that I'll be focused in my mind in tune with yours. And I pray that something that will help us as long as we live will be discussed, heard, understood, and digested. In Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago, in the state of New York, there was a, an American Legion convention. And all of a sudden, while the program was at its height, zenith, a man, unknown to anyone there, walked out on the platform. He was not on the program. No one knew who he was. He looked out and he said these words. He said, does anybody here know who I am? Does anybody here know who I am? And I have an idea that hundreds of you could ask that question this morning. Does anybody here really know who I am? On September 20th of last year, our mother was at the point of death. I went to the airport on that Thursday afternoon to fly to Charleston, South Carolina to speak to the state convention of Christian educators and school teachers. I was to speak on Thursday night and again on Friday morning. When I got to the airport, I called my mother, as I always did for 18 years. Last thing I did when I left the airport was call mother, tell her I loved her. Last words I said before I got on the plane was, I love you, mother. So I called, and of course, mother had been coming in and out of a coma for a long time. Sometimes when I would visit her, she thought I was my father. Sometimes she thought I was just a friend. And occasionally she would know who I am. The nurse at the clinic at Hiles Anderson College said, Brother Hiles, your mother's very near death. If you ever intend to see her alive, you'll have to come quickly. But it's about an hour and 15 minute drive from the airport to the 
college and I said to the nurse, I'm sorry, I cannot come. And I do not know exactly what she said, something like maybe why. And I said, Mother made me promise her that I would not cancel any speaking engagement because of her death. And she also made me promise her that I would preach her funeral. And I plan to keep both of those promises. The nurse said, well, in an hour or so, I think she'll be gone. Her blood pressure's way down. I think she said 40 over 30, I'm not sure. So I got on the airplane to fly to Charleston, South Carolina. Shortly after I got there, I was to be picked up at six o'clock to go preach to the convention. Shortly after I got there, I got a call and my sister said, Jack, mother has gone to heaven. Fifteen minutes after I got the news, I was picked up to go preach. I did not tell them that night that mother was gone. I went ahead and preached. In fact, I told a big lie. They asked me, and the first thing they asked when I got in the car, the driver said, how's your mother doing? And I said, not so well. Well, mother had never done as well as she was doing then because mother was in heaven. But I... Uh, I preached that night, didn't tell them. Preached the next morning, didn't tell them until I'd finished preaching. And then came back to O'Hara Field to meet my sister so I could drive out here. I had to preach in Richmond, Virginia that next night on Friday night. I had about three hours I could stay in Chicago between planes. And we're going to drive out here and see Mother's body and, and uh, then drive back to the airport and I was going to go to Richmond to preach. Well, we couldn't get out here because we got in a traffic jam in Chicago. We, I rushed back to the airport, never saw our body. We flew to Richmond, preached that night. Next morning, flew back, and then the weekend activities. I spoke eight times between Mother's death and Mother's funeral. And then I, uh, we buried her on Monday. And I had to leave everybody at the at the cemetery because I had to rush to the airport on Monday to catch a plane to go to Louisville, Kentucky. I rushed in the airport and I forgot to, I forgot that mother was gone. I was late for the plane. I rushed over to the telephone, picked up the phone to call mother, tell her I loved her. And the operator, the phone rang and rang and rang and rang and the operator said, I'm sorry, sir, she must not be at home. And I said, operator, I'm sorry, I forgot. She just moved to a new address. I'm not sure, please. And uh, I went on. Now, I preached that night, and then the next day was my birthday. And I thought of some things, some things that I want to share with you this morning. I thought of all the things my mother had taught me. My mother was one of those teaching mothers. The time that I was a child, the time that I was, my mother died, mama taught me. Most amazing psychologist I ever knew in my life was my mother. I never knew anybody could make friends as quickly. Handle children as beautifully. Interest young people as magnificently as my mother could. And I could hear her voice as she said so many times. In a little two-room shack of a house in the country. She'd say, son, we're, you're as good as anybody. You're not any better than anybody. But you're not any worse than anybody. You're as good as anybody. I can hear a little voice saying, look, always look everybody straight in the eye. Don't look up to the President of the United States and don't look down to the bum on the street. Look everybody straight in the eye. You're better than no one and you're worse than no one. You're as good as anybody. 
I can hear a little voice saying, be clean, be pure, be clean, because of her admonition. I never have to worry anywhere I go if uh, some woman might be in the house that I would fear to be there. No worry at all, because I can hear my mother's voice as she taught me so many things. I guess the thing that mother taught me that I'd like to share with you this morning, that is the most important thing she taught me apart from salvation, was how to be close. I want to share with you the four areas this morning of closeness. The first one I call physical nearness. I call that the bond of the body. I'm talking about that first that desire. Now, I wish you'd do me a favor. I wish you'd look at me. I, uh, I, really, want to, I really want to give you my heart and not a lesson this morning. I, I, and I tell you what, you'll remember more if you listen and get it in here than if you write it on paper. The memory is far and away the best recorder of truth. Uh, taking notes in church is highly overrated. Listening is highly underrated. And uh, so I want you to follow me very carefully. Mama taught me how to be close. Now I want to give you the four ties today of closeness. The first one is physical nearness. It's the first and the lowest form of closeness, but it is a proper and good form of closeness. That desire to be in the same room, to walk together on a crowded street, the dread of being separated, the sharing of one's person, the I hate to leave you behind, the, I wish you could go with me. The, I shall miss you. Now, it is not a bad uh, closeness or tie. It is a necessary tie. It is the least of all of them, but it is right, proper, and necessary. It will not, however, last you for a lifetime. Look at the field and see the cows grazing. They're together. Look at the floor and see the ants crawling. They're together. Look at the air and see the birds flying. They're together. Look at the pasture and see the ponies prancing and frisking. They're together. This is an important and a necessary tie. But there is a stronger one that must be built, if it is built, on this one. For example... You remember how used to, uh, down in Texas where I grew up, uh, we didn't have many trees and you could see for miles and miles. And I could see a storm coming if it, if it, was, a, a, if it was in wintertime. It was always called a norther because all the bad weather came from the north. And a nor mother says, son, a norther's coming up. And uh, uh, we would look at the north and see that you could see uh, no trees to block. The, the view and you could see that awful storm coming or we've seen tornadoes as they came uh, and watched them as they came with their funnel shaped uh, deadly uh, clouds and, and uh, we'd watch them you know there was always something I wanted I wanted mama home now mama couldn't stop, stop a tornado but somehow I never knew she couldn't mama couldn't stop a norther Little did she realize that her son would spend 26 years where they made northers. But mama, uh, mama couldn't stop a northern. But somehow I thought she could. You see, that's what I'm talking about, the, the, the presence of the body. 
the uh, the clasp of the hand the the uh, the sight of someone whom you love and that's important as far far as a tie is concerned now there's a second tie and i'm getting down i'm getting up uh, a step above the first time if you want to be close first that physical nearness which is the bond of the body now second is what i call common employment common employment I call this the bond of the soul. Number one, physical nearness, the bond of the body. And then common employment, the bond of the soul. Now that means closeness is caused by and promotes engaging in the same task. It's, it is identity of work interest in the same occupation i'm not talking about vocation now i'm talking about anything with which you occupy yourself sharing the same interest now this is built on the first you want to be close to somebody and that's the that's the, the first thing when that little baby was born the first thing you wanted to do was bring that baby's person close to your breast and the first thing that baby wanted to do was bring himself close to your breast and that first uh, relation, first uh, uh, spark of love that you felt for your husband, uh, you wanted to be close to him. You wanted to be with him in the same room and sharing the same things. But then we go higher than that to the second, and that is the bond or the tie of common employment or the bond of the soul. Um, he wants you to be with him. He wants you to share his enthusiasm. Now, now listen to me carefully. If you want to be close to somebody, you're going to have to learn to like what, they, what, they, what, what that person likes. If you want to be close to somebody, you're going to have to learn to have an interest that that person has. You know, after a while, the Gucci goo is, is going to be uh, got you gone. It's not going to stay that way. And there must be, it's sort of like a relay race. You take a baton and you run for a while on the, on the, the tie of, uh, of physical nearness. But after a while, that the runner of physical nearness must pass the baton to somebody else to take and run the race. And that somebody else is called common employment. He goes fishing with the boys now, but he didn't want to first. He wanted you to go fishing with him. But the water made your hair fall. He plays golf with the boys now, but he didn't want to at first. He wanted you to play golf with him. But you didn't do it. Because you never understood golf. But you could have understood golf. And you could be the boys now. Except you... You weren't going, well, I've got my rights. Yes, you have a perfect right to stay home by yourself. Perfect right. Or you also have a right in, in, in any relationship. You wonder why you, you, your son and you are not close. I don't know why it is. Because you've never, you've never developed this common employment or the bond of, uh, of the soul. Well, I never understood football. Well, you, they have books about it. You can learn it. I did like baseball, but you can learn to like it. I'm talking about this common employment. Learn his work. 
learn his play, learn his interest. You see, whether it's your husband, your son, whoever it is, he wants you to see him perform. He wants you to share his interest. But you did not, were not interested in seeing him perform. I was reading yesterday in the Bible where uh, Jesus was praying in the 17th of John. And he said, Father, I want my, and I'm paraphrasing it. He said, I want my people to be with me where I am that they may behold my glory. There's something awful sweet about that. Jesus was saying, I want them to see what I really am. I want them to see me on the throne. They've seen me on a cross. They've seen me uh, uh, hated. They've seen me tried. They've seen me misunderstood. They've seen me rejected. He said, Father, I'd like for my people to see me at work. He wanted you to see him as he built the house. And he wanted you to say, that's a marvelous house. He wanted you to see him as he made a par on the golf course. And he wanted you to say, you ought to be a professional. He wanted you to see him as he played in the softball league. And he wanted you to say, you're a great player. He wanted you to see him as he reeled in a 10-pound bass. And, and he wanted you to say, that's amazing. How do you do it? But your hair was falling. So was your brain. Your hair was falling. And because, well, that's why he says, I'm going with the boys. But there was a day when that first tie of physical nearness caused him to want you with him in every area of his life. Learn his work. Learn his play. Learn his interests. Remember, when I was a boy, my mama wanted to be close to her son. I'm all she had. My sister, well, my sister was there, but <laughs> I was all, all she had. And, uh, but my sister got married when she was young, and mother and I were alone together. Daddy left, and mother and I were alone together. But I remember how mother, and I did not know then what she was doing. But Mama resolved that we were going to be close. I hated math. Don't like it still. But I hated math. You know Mama taught me math? She said, son, you like baseball. Yeah. She said, son, uh, I, I want to. Uh, she said, who's, got to, who, who's the best hitter in baseball? And I said, Joe DiMaggio. She said, what's his batting average? I said, I don't know. She said, let's figure it out. Boy, oh boy, let's do it. And you know, I was figuring up batting averages for months before I knew I was learning math. I mean, that's the way, that's the way my mama taught me mathematics. She taught me how to multiply and divide and add and subtract. How? It's time to your homework, son. No, she, and my mama, she got interested in Joe DiMaggio. She knew he played center field. For the Yankees and Luke Gehrig played first base and Dizzy Dean pitched for the St. Louis Cardinals and he had a brother named Paul Dean named Paul Daffy Dean who pitched for the Cardinals and Mama knew that Dizzy Dean won 30 games one year in the same year. Daffy Dean won 19 games and Mama knew all of that. You say, oh, she must have had a real love for baseball. No, she had a real love for her son. And because she had love for her son, she wanted to, she, she realized that if 
Look, she realized when I got older that if I wanted her physical nearness, that's the first tie, if I wanted her physical nearness, I had, she had to have a common employment with me. You know how I learned geography? I did like geography. I always went out west of New York and out east of San Francisco I know, and uh, north of New Orleans and south of Minneapolis. You know how I learned geography? Mama said, son, teach me about baseball. Okay, Mom, it led to. I'm just a kid. I'm about 10, 11 years old. She said, uh, son, who's in the National League? Oh, well, I said, that's easy. You got Philadelphia, you got Boston, you got Cincinnati, you got Pittsburgh, you got the Cubs, you got the Giants. And I called off the name. She said, well, where are they? And I said, I'll tell you later. <laughs> and by the time later came, I had learned where Cincinnati was. Well, I did not know Mama knew where Cincinnati was. I did not know she knew where Pittsburgh was. But Mama said, son, uh, teach me where they are. I got a map of the United States and I looked up Pittsburgh and I draw me, drew me a map because I didn't want Mama to know I'd seen the other map. And I drew me a map and I said, Pittsburgh is right over here uh, in, in Nevada. And um, I said, here's Pittsburgh. And down here, Cincinnati on the river here. And over here is New York and here's Boston and here's Philadelphia. I, I, Mama taught me geography. Why? Because Mama said, I'm not going to lose the physical nearness of my boy. And in order to keep the physical nearness, she had to develop the common employment. Some of you ladies won't agree with this, but if you want to get close to your boy, you might consider it. We had a, a set of world book encyclopedias. Don't think we ever paid for them. Daddy bought them and agreed to pay for them. I don't think, I don't ever pay, but we had a, a set of world book encyclopedias. Well, my sister had already gotten out of high school, and she was married, and I was the only other kid. And if I had a, a term paper to write, Mom would say, let's look in the world book. We called it the world book. Let's look in the world book. We'd look in the world book. Be a picture there. I wrote, I wrote my term theme uh, uh, in, in English in the senior on John Maysfield, uh, the uh, old seafaring uh, poet who wrote uh, The Wit of the By Street and Everlasting Mercy and so forth. And, and uh, I looked up in the world book and there was John Maysfield's picture. Mama got a pair of scissors. And she cut his picture out of the world book. And I said, Mama? Well, she said, Son, you're the last child we have. And she said, after you're gone, I'm not going to be reading about John Maysfield. She said, the books are for you, not you for the books. And if you had seen our World Book Encyclopedias, page after page, we're missing. Why? Because Mama said, I've got a tie of physical nearness. But he won't be scared of the storm when he's 17. And he won't want to play Chinese checkers when he's 17. And Mama said, I am going to make another tie not that'll, that'll, that will uh, take the baton after the physical nearness tie wanes. Mama knew that someday there'd come a little, little gal. And Mama knew that that little gal would want, I'd want physical nearness with her more than I'd want physical nearness with Mama. 
But Mama also knew that little gal didn't own a set of world books. And I found that little girl when I needed to write a theme wasn't worth a flip. But Mama and her world books and scissors did a fabulous job. In case, if you don't want to get close, keep your books. If you don't want to get close, let the child be for the books. If you don't want to get close, let the child live for the house. In case you want to be close, let the house be for the child. Let the books be for the child. Now, it may be you don't give a flip about being close, but in case you do give a flip, then you might better consider what my mama did. For example, mama knew I liked basketball. So mama bought a goal, a basketball goal, a little one that looked on the door in the house. And she bought me a little basketball so I could dribble it in the house. Oh, you say, that, 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 that makes me nervous. A lot more nervous to lose your son. And Mama said, son, you play basketball in the house and you invite anybody you want to invite. I'd invite Pee Wee Howard and Bob Keys and Bob Lovell and George Lovell and all those fellas and we'd play basketball in the house. You say, did it make your mother nervous? <laughs> it may have, but she never mentioned it. You know why? Because Mama wanted me home. And Mama knew that if I couldn't play basketball in our house, I'd be somewhere else playing basketball. And Mama said, we're going to be have more than just the tie of physical nearness because in any relationship that tie will wane. And then, of course, games. We played pickup sticks. That little game, you know, with all those little color sticks. Each stick is worth so many points, and you got to get one without moving another. And uh, she cheated. Oh, she cheated. And. Uh, we played Chinese checkers. You know, that's that little, that little six-pointed star where you get, put your checkers over here in this little point. They're over here, and you got to get them all over there before she gets hers over here. And uh, we play, and we played dominoes. I don't know if that's sinful or not, but we played dominoes and 42. And uh, uh, you say, well, was, did your mama enjoy all that? She seemed like she did. I'm not sure if she enjoyed dominoes or if she enjoyed her partner. But my mama, she didn't know all of this. She didn't know what she was doing. She couldn't have made a speech on it. But she knew how to do it. Why? Because mama was building a tie with her son. And she was getting close to her son. And getting her son close to her. And so she built the tie of physical nearness. And the tie of common employment. That leads us to the third tie. A step even higher. And this is the tie I call the tie of similar opinions. Similar opinions. In case you want to be close, you first have physical nearness. And then you have common employment. And then a step higher, uh, closeness is always characterized, I mean real closeness, by the tie of similar opinions. Now listen carefully to me. Did you know you don't always have to have your own opinion? to think as I want to think. You also have a right to think as I want to think. But you're right. You're, uh, freedom gives you the right to, 
to bristle or give in. Either one. Both are exercising freedom. Now, I'm not saying be a puppet. Uh, no, I don't care who it is, whether it's a, a son or a husband or a lady friend, who it is, nobody likes somebody to say, just as you say, just as you say, Allah, Master, just as you say. No, let me tell you the, the, the better way to give in, and you give in just as much, but it's, a, but it's the way you get close. Mom would say, son, what do you think about this? And I'd say, uh, you want to know my opinion? Well, of course I want to know your opinion. And I would say, well, first thing I think is this. And Mama would say, that makes sense. Don't you see, I was winning. I was conquering. And look, nobody wants to conquer. <laughs> A guy walks up, let's fight. The fellow falls over. There's no fun there. That's no fun. I mean, you see, see, being conquered slowly and gradually, let him convince you. So he'll be proud of the logic he used and the manner he used. Now, some of you ladies right now say, I just don't agree with that. I know, and you'll never be close to anybody but your parakeet. But now you listen to me. Just in case a few of you don't belong to the ERA husbands, just in case there are a few of you that like to be close, I'm not telling you what I think, I'm telling you what I know. You share similar opinions. You try to follow the logic of your friend. Understand his or her logic. Disagree as little as possible. Now follow me carefully, I'm getting down to one of the most important points. To do this, you should share as few decisions with that person as possible. The more decisions you share and, the, and you make together, the more chances you have to disagree. Uh, people that fuss a lot decide on a lot of things together. That's why, personally, I never advise young couples to go grocery shopping together. Never do. You've got about 150 decisions to make, and you're not going to agree on 148 of them. I do not think it's a good idea. That's why I advise this. I advise couples that have children at home, don't share the disciplining of the children. Now let me tell you something. Every man that has ever lived is as mean as the devil to the kids. You think? I don't understand it. You're going to kill him. I can hear my mama saying right now to my daddy, Affie, you're going to kill him. I said, Affie, she's right. She's right. You're going to kill him. <laughs> every man, to every woman, every man is a beast with the kids. But to every man, every woman is a pussyfooter with the kids. Here's what you say. You do that one more time, I want to spank you. Five minutes later, one more time. I'm going to spank you to us you're the biggest liars in captivity over and over and over and over and over and over so here's what I, I advise couples when the husband is disciplining the children ladies go work in the yard when the wife is disciplining the children husbands go play golf Don't work in the yard. Leave that for the wife and you're disciplining the children. 
Either that or start a rescue mission like I did and you won't have to mow your yard anymore. You're on a vacation. 40% of the divorces in America are caused by choosing where we'll eat. The wife wants to eat at this pretty little restaurant here, but to the husband, the next one's going to be nicer. You know, I'm no less the boss here because I delegate authority. Most everything you see this week, I have approved it. Mrs. Evans and all the folks who work for me send me notes and call the secretary and say, would you approve this, would you approve that, would you approve this and approve that. For example, they wanted to have the hillbilly gal. Have you had them hillbilly gals? They wanted them to be bare feet back in the back, and I wouldn't allow that. We haven't got enough deodorant around here. Spray, hairspray, and I said to you, but but I, I I guess that's the only thing I didn't approve. Maybe maybe one other thing out of the hundreds of things they've done, I don't feel less of a man because I delegated authority, responsibility. I don't run the bus ministry here. I approve most every new innovate, every innovation and every new thing. But but I don't I don't I don't I don't run it. I may spend a few minutes a week with the fellows who operate the bus ministry, but they run it. I don't feel any less the boss. I have the right to change anything I want to think. Change, but I don't feel any less the boss because I delegate authority. And if I and the bus directors got together and decided on every decision, we'd have troubles. I wish I could get this over to you. If you want to be close, don't you decide together on many things. Delegate some responsibility. Whether, whether, okay, the husband makes decisions in this area. And the wife makes decisions in this area. Dr. Tom Malone said when they got married, they did that. He said that his wife said, now honey, you take, make all the big decisions and I'll make all the little ones. Dr. Malone said, now in 50 years, we've never had a big decision come up in our home. <laughs> Now, I don't think a man is any less a man because he says to his wife, this is your area of responsibility. You'd be amazed. I counsel with young couples that are, that, that are about to get divorces and, and, and it's over the fact that, that he did, she doesn't buy the brand of English peas and, and, and green beans that he wants her to buy. May I share this with you too? One day, Becky and Linda and Cindy, all three of our married daughters, were home. And we were having a little philosophy time. And Becky said, Dad, I am just on pins and needles all the time. She said, I'm going through a little nervous spell. Well, every lady I know is either having a nervous breakdown or just got over one or is going to have one as soon as she can work it into her schedule. And uh, so she said, Dad, could you help me? I said, yes, I can. And when I said that, as they always do, Linda and Cindy pull their chairs up around to listen to what Dad was going to say about philosophy. And here's what I said. And this, I could help you right now unbelievably if you'd listen to what I'm going to say. I said, Puddin, may I tell you what I think? I think you're talking too much on the telephone about people. Now I said, I hold it. I don't think you're a gossip. I don't think you're a critic. I just think you're talking too much about who got married and who had a baby and who's pregnant and 
And I said, I think you're talking. And I said, this is what happens. When you talk about the problems of other people, you are helpless to solve those problems. So what do you do? You put a bunch of problems up here in your brain. Boy, we should get this. You put a bunch of problems up here in your brain that, that you cannot solve. And you've got a bunch of strings hanging down in your brain, untied, unsolved problems. And I said, when you have unsolved problems in your mind, that's what makes you nervous. You, you know what makes you Oh, when am I going to get to this? Oh, I don't know when I'm going to do all this stuff. Uh, I, see, it's something that's not finished. Unfinished thinking causes nervousness and problems. So I said to her, Puddin, you talk on the telephone. Don't talk about people's problems. Because every time you talk about somebody else's problem, you're putting something in the computer of the brain that you cannot solve. And it's just another unfinished problem. And before long, all those problems become like a bowl of spaghetti, and they intertwine, and you get nervous, and you wonder how you're going to... But I said, just don't talk about people. And I say this about the similar opinions also. It's no problem to yield your opinion to the person to whom you want to be close. I've got a right to my opinion. Yeah, I understand that. I understand that. You really do. You also have a right to be wise, too, in case you'd like to choose an alternative. You have as much a right to give in as you do to hold out. There's nothing wrong with it. Let me illustrate. I've been on the board of the Sword of the Lord for 30 years. Well, Dr. John Rice was in Wheaton, Illinois, headquarters of the Sword of the Lord there. He was in Wheaton, Illinois. Dr. Rice uh, got the idea that God wanted to move to Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Now, to me, I thought that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Why, in the name of common sense, would a guy want to move from Wheaton, Illinois to a town with a name like that? Sounds like Waxahachie, Muleshoe, Texas, or Nacogdoches, and... Uh, Nashville, okay, but Murfreesboro. We had a board meeting to decide and to vote. Dr. Rice, he didn't say, everybody for it, raise your hand. He always said, your vote, what's your vote, what's your vote, what's your vote. Looked at you like that, boy, you felt like you were just as dumb as could be. Now, I thought the move was a mistake. Dr. Rice came to me, he said, Dr. Tiles, what's your vote? I said, Dr. Rice, are you sure 100% that God wants you to move to Murfreesboro and the sword to move to Murfreesboro? He said, yes, sir. Dr. Tiles, I'm 100% sure. And I said, I vote yes. I vote yes. Why? <clears throat> because I was yielding my opinion to his. Because I, I felt, since he was the editor, and God knows I want to be close to him. By the way, 
Uh, I, I hate to even say this because he's looking down from heaven, and I know he's going to put an article against me in heaven's sword of the Lord next week when I say this. But I believe in tithing to the local church. Always have believed in it. He didn't. But he never knew I didn't. I did. We'd be in the question-answer sessions at noontime somewhere preachers and preachers say, Dr. Tiles, what do you believe about storehouse tithing? I'd say I defer that question to Dr. Rice. He knows much more about that than I. We were close. I remember the day I told the folks this other night. The day I got a letter from Dr. Rice after I'd been with him for 18, 19 years, traveled with him extensively. Nobody was with him as much as I was in the last 22 years of his life. I got a letter and he said, Dr. Hiles, I was in Aurora, Illinois, and somebody told me that you believe in tithing to the church. He said, I'm shaken. So was I. <laughs> he said, I'm shaken. He said, I must have an answer. You know what my answer was? The next week we were in Milwaukee, Wisconsin together. He got there before I did, and I got there, went knocked on his door, and I said, come with me, sir. He said, what for? I said, just come with me, obey orders now, come with me. I took him down to the shopping mall. I said, pick out the best suit in the house. I noticed his overcoat was frayed around the cuff, and I said, by the way, get you a nice overcoat, too. I bought him a new suit, bought him an overcoat. Went back to the room, and I said, I won't tell you something. I got your letter. And I put my arms out, and I hugged him. And I said, you're the greatest man I know, and walked out. He never brought the subject up again. And we were close until he died. Every Monday morning when I leave my office, I go to the waiting room, and there's a picture of Dr. Rice. It says to my buddy, Dr. Jack Hiles, John R. Rice, Psalm 126, 5 and 6. Always look at it and tell him I miss him. How'd you learn to be close like that? My mama taught me. My mama taught me that one tie that ties us together is the tie of physical nearness. And another tie is the tie of common employment. And then the tie of similar opinions. I'm not going to give in. You're going to give out what you're going to do. But the truth is, in case you want to be close, tie number four, highest of all, the tie I call the sympathy of character. Physical nearness is the bond of the body. Common employment is the bond of the soul. Similar opinion, the bond of the mind. Sympathy of character, the bond of the heart. Share the same people. People get close if they share the same convictions. You know. Let me just say this. If your husband, for example, if he's a preacher or a deacon, and he doesn't believe in your wearing pants, I'd rather be close in a skirt than distant in pants. If he doesn't believe in you wearing makeup, I'd rather be close, unpainted, than distant painted. <laughs> and Dr. Rice... I walked into a Howard Johnson's restaurant in uh, Delaware, in Newark, Delaware, and uh, this waitress came and she looked like, uh, she, she was painted sort of like a uh, person that's on a famous uh, charismatic 
television program. And uh, you're judging me now. That hurts me when you judge me like that. And uh, this gal came and, and, and uh, Dr. Rice looked up and said, you've been in a fight? She said, no, why do you ask? He said, you've got two black eyes. You know, I found that I'd rather be close to Dr. Rice than be right and make him wrong. And my mama found that she'd rather be close to me by sharing my opinion. And then, of course, the sympathy of character is the bond of the heart. Share the same conviction, share the same principles, share the same purposes. I'll tell you what, whether it's a friend, a lady friend with whom you live, or whether it's a grandmother that lives across the street, or whether it's a husband or, and or children that live down in the same house, whoever it is, if it's a son or a daughter, just in case you want to be close, Physical nearness, the bond of the body. Common employment, the bond of the soul. Similar opinions, the bond of the mind. And sympathy of character, the bond of the heart. Now I'm going to share something with you I don't want to share with you, but I, I think it'll help you, and I've never shared this total story. Anybody, a little bit of it, yes. It's about my mama, and with this I'll close. Mama told me, I asked her permission, use this. She said, son, if it'll help anybody, you may use it as you choose. I've used it a few times in part. I've never used it in total. But I want to tell you what an expert told me. One day, I asked my mama if she'd like to go preach with me to preach. I was going to do the preaching. That is, when I got there on the way, she's going to do it. But I said, Mama, why don't you drive with me? Uh, a couple hundred miles. Why don't you drive with me? And uh, I'm out of town tonight. I'm preaching somewhere. And she said, okay. So we did. We drove and I preached. And I forget what I preached about. But on the way back, there was a little silence. And then I heard a sniffle. I looked over. And Mother was weeping. And I said, Mother, why are you crying? And I do not know what I had said that night that brought this up. Mama said, son, I was just thinking. I believe if your daddy and I had had you as a preacher, I could have I kept him. What did you say? See, my daddy was an alcoholic. My dad died a drunkard's death. What did you say? She said, son, I believe if your daddy and I had had you for a pastor, I could have kept him. Now only my sister knows what I'm about to say, and I've never told this to anybody in the world, ever. It's never been through my lips. She said in the first place, son, she said your daddy and I, and you and Erlene, lived on Fernwood, in a one-room place. We all slept in the same room. This is very touchy. I don't want to tell it, but I think it'll, it'll help you if my mama can help you. And my mama said, son, she said, 
you and Erlene were there in the same room. And she said, I wasn't affectionate to you, Daddy. For your sakes. You see what happened? The bond of the body was untied. Then she said, son, there was a day when your daddy and I went everywhere together. We had a little store. We ran together in Italy, Texas. And she said, we were inseparable. Now, wait a minute. She said, son, Lorene came. Lorene was the first baby. Lorene was afflicted. We would call her a spastic. Lorene never walked. Lorene never talked. Lorene never turned over in bed. Lorene never said mommy. Lorene never said daddy. And mama said, son, I thought my job was to stay by her bedside. And I did. And she was my total interest in life. You see what I'm saying? The bond of the soul was untied. For something good. The bond of the body was untied because of her love for me and my sister. The bond of the soul was untied because of the love she had for a little afflicted daughter who stayed for seven years before she died. And she said, Mama, she said, Son, I, I promised God when you came I'd make you a preacher if God would call you. And she said, Son, I, I worked awful hard on it. But she said, Your dad was not interested in that. Don't you see? There's the untying of the bond of the mind. Bond of the body untied? Why? For a good thing. My sister and I, not to see things Mama didn't want us to see. Bond of the soul untied for a good thing, an afflicted daughter that pulled her away from closeness with Daddy. Bond of the mind untied for a good thing, or she wanted to make a preacher boy out of her son. And then she said, our goals became different. He went one way. I went the other. Our purposes were different. And there goes the bond of the heart. She's been gone over a year. I wonder maybe if it was the fact that she brought these, she saw these four bonds untied with one relationship. I wonder maybe if she didn't learn how to keep them tied tightly with another. You can be close, but it'll be on purpose. Whatever your circle of life is, you can be close. But you'll only be close if you have physical nearness, the bond of the body common employment, the bond 
of the soul. Similar opinions, the bond of the mind, and sympathy of character, the bond of the heart. I've told you things this morning I didn't want to tell anybody, and a few things I've never told anybody. Maybe I just wanted my mother, though she's gone, to still speak. Let her teach you this morning. You'll be a better person and have a richer life. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org.